Section 22 of The Prussian Officer and Other Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prussian Officer and Other Stories by D. H. Lawrence. Odor of Chrysanthemums, Chapter 1. The small locomotive engine, number four, came clanking, stumbling down from Selston, with seven full wagons. It appeared round the corner with loud threats of speed, but the colt that it startled from among the gorse, which still flickered indistinctly in the raw afternoon, outdistanced it at a canter. The woman, walking up the railway line to Underwood, drew back into the hedge, held her basket aside, and watched the footplate of the engine advancing. The trucks thumped heavily past, one by one, with slow, inevitable movement, as she stood insignificantly, trapped between the jolting black wagons and the hedge. Then they curved away towards the coppice where the withered oak leaves dropped noiselessly, while the birds, pulling at the scarlet hips beside the track, made off into the dusk that had already crept into the spinney. In the open the smoke from the engine sank and cleaved to the rough grass. The fields were dreary and forsaken, and in the marshy strip that led to the whimsy, a reedy pit-pond, the fowls had already abandoned their run among the alders, to roost in the tarred fowl-house. The pit-bank loomed up beyond the pond, flames like red sores licking its ashy sides in the afternoon's stagnant light. Just beyond rose the tapering chimneys and the clumsy black headstalks of Brinsley Colliery. The two wheels were spinning fast up against the sky, and the winding engine wrapped out its little spasms. The miners were being turned up. The engine whistled as it came into the wide bay of railway lines beside the colliery, where rows of trucks stood in harbour. Miners, single, trailing and in groups, passed like shadows diverging home. At the edge of the ribbed level of sidings squat a low cottage, three steps down from the cinder-track. A large bony vine clutched at the house as if to claw down the tiled roof. Round the bricked yard grew a few wintry primroses. Beyond, the long garden sloped down to a bush-covered brook-course. There were some twiggy apple-trees, winter-crack trees, and ragged cabbages. Beside the path hung dishevelled pink chrysanthemums, like pink cloths hung on bushes. A woman came stooping out of the felt-covered fowl-house, halfway down the garden. She closed and padlocked the door, then drew herself erect, having brushed some bits from her white apron. She was a tall woman of imperious mien, handsome, with definite black eyebrows. Her smooth black hair was parted exactly. For a few moments she stood steadily watching the miners as they passed along the railway. Then she turned towards the brook-course. Her face was calm and set. Her mouth was closed with disillusionment. After a moment she called, "'John!' There was no answer. She waited and then said distinctly, "'Where are you?' "'Here!' replied a child's sulky voice from among the bushes. The woman looked piercingly through the dusk. "'Are you at that brook?' she asked sternly. For answer the child showed himself before the raspberry canes that rose like whips. He was a small, sturdy boy of five. He stood quite still, defiantly. "'Oh!' said the mother, conciliated. "'I thought you were down at that wet brook, and you remember what I told you.' The boy did not move or answer. "'Come, come on in,' she said more gently. "'It's getting dark. There's your grandfather's engine coming down the line.' The lad advanced slowly, with resentful, taciturn movement. He was dressed in trousers and waistcoat of cloth that was too thick and hard for the size of the garments. They were evidently cut down from a man's clothes. As they went slowly towards the house, he tore at the ragged wisps of chrysanthemums and dropped the petals in handfuls along the path. "'Don't do that. It does look nasty,' said his mother. 
he refrained and she suddenly pitiful broke off a twig with three or four wan flowers and held them against her face when mother and son reached the yard her hand hesitated and instead of laying the flower aside she pushed it in her apron band the mother and son stood at the foot of the three steps looking across the bay of lines at the passing home of the miners the trundle of the small train was imminent suddenly the engine loomed past the house and came to a stop opposite the gate the engine driver a short man with round grey beard leaned out of the cab high above the woman have you got a cup of tea he said in a cheery hearty fashion it was her father she went in saying she would mash directly she returned i didn't come to see you on sunday began the little grey-bearded man i didn't expect you said his daughter the engine driver winced then reassuming his cheery airy manner he said oh have you heard then well and what do you think i think it is soon enough she replied at her brief censure the little man made an impatient gesture and said coaxingly yet with dangerous coldness well what's a man to do it's no sort of life for a man of my years to sit at my own hearth like a stranger and if i'm going to marry again it may as well be soon as late what does it matter to anybody the woman did not reply but turned and went into the house the man in the engine cab stood assertive till she returned with a cup of tea and a piece of bread and butter on a plate she went up the steps and stood near the footplate of the hissing engine you needn't have brought me bread and butter said her father but a cup of tea he sipped appreciatively it's very nice he sipped for a moment or two then i hear as walter's got another bout on he said when hasn't he said the woman bitterly i heerd tell of him in the lord nelson braggin as he was going to spend that bugger afore he left half a sovereign that was when asked the woman a saturday night i know that's true very likely she laughed bitterly he gives me twenty-three shillings ay it's a nice thing when a man can do nothing with his money but make a beast of himself said the grey-whiskered man the woman turned her head away her father swallowed the last of his tea and handed her the cup ay he sighed wiping his mouth it's a settler it is he put his hand on the lever the little engine strained and groaned and the train rumbled towards the crossing the woman again looked across the metals darkness was settling over the spaces of the railway and trucks the miners in grey sombre groups were still passing home the winding engine pulsed hurriedly with brief pauses elizabeth bates looked at the dreary flow of men then she went indoors her husband did not come the kitchen was small and full of firelight red coals piled glowing up the chimney-mouth all the life of the room seemed in the white warm hearth and the steel fender reflecting the red fire the cloth was laid for tea cups glinted in the shadows at the back where the lowest stairs protruded into the room the boy sat struggling with a knife and a piece of white wood he was almost hidden in the shadow it was half-past four they had but to await the father's coming to begin tea as the mother watched her son's sullen little struggle with the wood, she saw herself in his silence and pertinacity. She saw the father in her child's indifference to all but himself. She seemed to be occupied by her husband. He had probably gone past his time. He had probably gone past his home, slunk past his own door, to drink before he came in, while his dinner spoiled and wasted in waiting. She glanced at the clock, then took the potatoes to strain them in the yard. The garden and fields beyond the brook were closed in uncertain darkness when she rose with the saucepan leaving the drain steaming into the night behind her she saw the yellow lamps were lit along the high road that went up the hill away beyond the space of the railway lines and the field then again she watched the men trooping home fewer now and fewer indoors the fire was sinking and the room was dark red 
the woman put her saucepan on the hob and set a batter pudding near the mouth of the oven then she stood unmoving directly gratefully came quick young steps to the door some one hung on the latch a moment then a little girl entered and began pulling off her outdoor things dragging a mass of curls just ripening from gold to brown over her eyes with her hat her mother chided her for coming late from school and said she would have to keep her at home the dark winter days why mother it's hardly a bit dark yet the lamp's not lighted and my father's not home no he isn't but it's quarter to five did you see anything of him the child became serious she looked at her mother with large wistful blue eyes no mother i have never seen him why has he come up and gone past to old brinsley's he hasn't mother cause i never saw him he'd watch that said the mother bitterly he'd take care as you didn't see him but you may depend upon it he's seated in the prince of wales he wouldn't be this late the girl looked at her mother piteously let's have our teas mother should we said she the mother called john to table she opened the door once more and looked out across the darkness of the lines all was deserted she could not hear the winding engines perhaps she said to herself he stopped to get some ripping done they sat down to tea john at the end of the table near the door was almost lost in the darkness their faces were hidden from each other the girl crouched against the fender slowly moving a thick piece of bread before the fire the lad his face a dusky mark on the shadow sat watching her who was transfigured in the red glow i do think it's beautiful to look in the fire said the child do you said her mother why it's so red and full of little caves and it feels so nice and you can fair smell it it'll want mending directly replied her mother and then if your father comes he'll carry on and say there never is a fire when a man comes home sweating from the pit a public-house is always warm enough there was silence till the boy said complainingly, "'Make haste, our Annie.' "'Well, I am doing. I can't make the fire do it no faster, can I?' "'She keeps wafflin' it about so's to make her slow,' grumbled the boy. "'Don't have such an evil imagination, child,' replied the mother. Soon the room was busy in the darkness with the crisp sound of crunching. The mother ate very little. She drank her tea determinedly and sat thinking. When she rose, her anger was evident in the stern unbending of her head." she looked at the pudding in the fender and broke out it's a scandalous thing as a man can't even come home to his dinner if it's crozzled up to a cinder i don't see why i should care past his very door he goes to get to a public-house and here i sit with his dinner waiting for him she went out as she dropped piece after piece of coal on the red fire the shadows fell on the walls till the room was almost in total darkness i canna see grumbled the invisible john in spite of herself the mother laughed you know the way to your mouth she said she set the dustpan outside the door when she came again like a shadow on the hearth the lad repeated complaining sulkily i canna see good gracious cried the mother irritably you're as bad as your father if it's a bit dusk nevertheless she took a paper spill from a sheath on the mantelpiece and proceeded to light the lamp that hung from the ceiling in the middle of the room as she reached up her figure displayed itself just rounding with maternity oh mother exclaimed the girl what said the woman suspended in the act of putting the lamp-glass over the flame the copper reflector shone handsomely on her as she stood with uplifted arm turning to face her daughter you've got a flower in your apron said the child in a little rapture at this unusual event goodness me exclaimed the woman relieved one would think the house was afire she replaced the glass and waited a moment before turning up the wick a pale shadow was seen floating vaguely on the floor let me smell said the child still rapturously coming forward and putting her face to her mother's waist 
"'Go along, silly,' said the mother, turning up the lamp. The light revealed their suspense so that the woman felt it almost unbearable. Annie was still bending at her waist. Irritably, the mother took the flowers out from her apron band. "'Oh, mother, don't take them out!' Annie cried, catching her hand and trying to replace the sprig. "'Such nonsense!' said the mother, turning away. The child put the pale chrysanthemums to her lips, murmuring, "'Don't they smell beautiful?' Her mother gave a short laugh. "'No,' she said, "'not to me. It was chrysanthemums when I married him, and chrysanthemums when you were born, and the first time they ever brought him home drunk, he'd got brown chrysanthemums in his buttonhole.' She looked at the children. Their eyes and their parted lips were wondering. The mother sat rocking in silence for some time. Then she looked at the clock. Twenty minutes to six. In a tone of fine, bitter carelessness, she continued, "'Eh, he'll not come home now till they bring him. There he'll stick. But he needn't come rolling in here in his pit-dirt, for I won't wash him. He can lie on the floor. Eh, what a fool I've been. What a fool. And this is what I came here for, to this dirty hole, rats and all, for him to slink past his very door. Twice last week.' He's begun now. She silenced herself and rose to clear the table. While for an hour or more the children played, subduedly intent, fertile of imagination, united in fear of the mother's wrath and in dread of their father's homecoming, Mrs. Bates sat in her rocking chair making a singlet of thick cream-coloured flannel, which gave a dull, wounded sound as she tore off the grey edge. She worked at her sewing with energy, listening to the children, and her anger wearied itself, lay down to rest opening its eyes from time to time, and steadily watching, its ears raised to listen. Sometimes even her anger quailed and shrank, and the mother suspended her sewing, tracing the footsteps that thudded along the sleepers outside. She would lift her head sharply to bid the children hush, but she recovered herself in time, and the footsteps went past the gate, and the children were not flung out of their playing world. But at last Annie sighed and gave in. She glanced at her wagon of slippers and loathed the game. She turned plaintively to her mother. "'Mother!' But she was inarticulate. John crept out like a frog from under the sofa. His mother glanced up. "'Yes,' she said. "'Just look at those shirt-sleeves.' The boy held them out to survey them, saying nothing. Then somebody called in a hoarse voice away down the line, and suspense bristled in the room till two people had gone by outside, talking. "'It is time for bed,' said the mother." "'My father hasn't come,' wailed Annie plaintively, but her mother was primed with courage. "'Never mind. They'll bring him when he does come, like a log.' She meant there would be no scene. "'And he may sleep on the floor till he wakes himself. I know he'll not go to work to-morrow after this.' The children had their hands and faces wiped with a flannel. They were very quiet. When they had put on their night-dresses, they said their prayers, the boy mumbling. The mother looked down at them, at the brown silken bush of intertwining curls in the nape of the girl's neck, at the little black head of the lad, and her heart burst with anger at their father, who caused all three such distress. The children hid their faces in her skirts for comfort. When Mrs. Bates came down, the room was strangely empty, with a tension of expectancy. She took up her sewing and stitched for some time without raising her head. Meantime, her anger was tinged with fear. End of chapter 1 of Odor of Chrysanthemums